We got some big guys up here. Impact players for your Chicago Bears. Some of the most dominant defensive linemen in NFL history up here. We got Hall of Famers, all decade performers, Pro Bowlers, many members of the Scaprock 100. Uh, we got a, a lot of guys and a lot of good stories to talk about. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Hope everybody's doing okay. We doing good out there? We're gonna show them some love. Big time there. Watching these guys roll in here, and hey, I'm a little guy. You're an offensive lineman, you were a big guy. These guys are bigger. This would have been intimidating. Now, Tommy slimmed up. Tommy slimmed up, but he was a big guy. This is some nasty up here. You know, my, my earliest memories of Bears greatness is Ed Obradovich, because he used to be around the locker room a lot. And then when I started looking at information, you see the interviews of how much it meant for him to be a Bear, his player greatness, and everything he meant to the defensive line and defensive reputation of the Chicago Bears. And then, uh, you know, being teammates with Hamp and Chris and stuff. And there he is right there, Ed Obradovich, baby, number 87. Boom! You think of OB and Dud Gatkins on the same defensive line, the destruction they caused back then, and you think it can talent transfer from one ear to the next. There's two guys that could play 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and so on. It's bare greatness. Ed, when you see those highlights of yourself, what goes through your mind? I'd like to be playing today. Right. Ed, 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 over about, Ed over here. You know. Woo, look at you move, baby. You know what? It, I sit here and I look at this, and uh, football in any decade is real serious business. And I played in what people would call the most violent decade of football, and that was in the 1960s. And there was one rule, and that one rule was there was no rules. <laughs> we had a coach by the name of George Allen, who's in the Hall of Fame, and he was our defensive coordinator. And he came up with, with defenses and maneuvers and, and, and settings that we play our opponents, we would annihilate them. They didn't know what the hell we were doing. Had no idea. And one of the things that George came up, and you see it in today's game, in all of them, you see where the back will come in and check to see if anybody's coming inside, and if not, then he'll wheel around the defensive end for a six-yard hook or out in the flat or something. Well, when they played the Chicago Bears, you couldn't do that because George Allen came up with a thing called hanging. And what that meant was you never let a back come out around you. When you're rushing that passer and that back comes around her, you hang him. You try to catch him right in the throat and bring him down. <laughs> That's back. Hey, Ed. And then one more thing. And then there was another terminology. How about hanging? And this one was ground them. And, and when that came from, that came from the ends in. So at the defensive tackles, if it was an even number, an overshift to the street, stronger, weak side, whatever. And if, if you let that back, you never let it back get through. Because he did the same thing. He came up, and they tried to sneak through the middle of the line. And, you know, and they're always the outlet pass. And again, you see it in every game, every week, now. It doesn't matter. Well, when they played the Bears, they didn't get through. Those guys tried sneaking by, you know, getting lows. And either Fred Williams or somebody, I mean, he'd whack him and drop him like a sack of salt. And earlier we had Dick Buckus up here, and he was talking about some of the tackles he made against the Green Bay Packers. He said the reason he was able to make the tackles is because you had three guys on top of you blocking you, and he had no one else to block him, so he would just run and make the play. And that's the sacrifice of every great defensive lineman. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. I wish the hell they would have paid me like that. <laughs> you know what? When I heard, and you young guys, let me tell you something. Get every damn thing you can get. Because I tell you, when it's over, it's over. And, and you get out into the real world. But I'll tell you what. The Chicago Bears are 
the footing and the foundation of the National Football League. And since, since 1946, and again, this is what the hell gripes me, 1946, we won a world championship twice, 63 and an 85. Now enough's enough. I think what I see today in this coaching staff, and I see the enthusiasm with this young team, and they better come and they better get it, because I'll tell you what, folks, you're not gonna see these guys playing at this level for five years, seven years, 10 years. It's not gonna happen. It's in front of them, they better see it, and I like the Bears a lot, but I'll tell you, it's up to those kids. You well, know, Akeem Hicks, you're one of the guys on the front line tearing it up. Great advice from a, from a, a veteran like this from the 1963 championship team. I know you were interested in, in, in seeing these guys and talking to these guys uh, as fellow defensive linemen, but it's interesting to hear the old stories and how you try to fit it into today's world, isn't it, in, in terms of football? He's got my blood boiling right now. I'm sorry. Look, I'm juiced up. I'm ready to go play right now. Um, the question was, is That's it great to be in yeah, here with these great. guys? Yeah, it's awesome, man, to see the history of the Bears and see the guys that I watched growing up, even though I had to watch some of it on NFL films, and I got to meet guys like Tommy Harris and watch guys. It's, um, for me, I love the game of football, right? So I, I got to watch these guys, and it gave me something to aspire to. And uh, so it's just a pleasure to be up here with them. Dan Hampton, I know this man means everything to you. OB, well, you, guys yeah. are, you guys are tethered. Well, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, and, and it, it, you can listen to this man talk for about three minutes and just realize how much he cared about playing the game of football for the Chicago Bears. Let me tell you something, folks. You know, and, and this doesn't just happen by osmosis. You have to, you have, to have a core that refuses to lose. And that 63 championship team. And you know, when I first got here, I was very fortunate after a year or two, Butkus, OB, some of the guys, they took a liking to me and I would go out to eat dinner with them and they would tell me what it was like to play the game at the level that you have to if you want to be a world champion. And Mongo and I, we, we would talk about it. We'd, we, you know, we'd go back to the locker room and we're, we're saying, hey, whatever we're doing now, it's not enough. There's a reason why they won a world championship. We have to take it upon ourselves to do what we have to do for us to win one. And Akeem, I mean, that's exactly what Ed is saying right now. The time is now, seize the moment. Let's get it done, 2019, now. You know, if I could interject something right now, uh, everybody up here has played the game enough years, you know, good times, bad times, are different, whatever. But I'm going to tell you what, when I say, what I see in this Bears defense, and, and there has to be, there has to be pressure from the outside, okay? I get that, I understand that. But a great pass rushing team where the pressure comes from the inside. And I keep. Let me explain one more thing to you. You could be at the defensive end. I would love to have a Dan Hampton, a Keem Hicks, or somebody. Because the, what you see with quarterbacks when they escape, they always do that step up and go either left or right and sneak out. With the Bears, Right now, you cannot do that. And why? Because basically this one guy takes two, three people, and the quarterback can't come up the middle. He can't. So then, so who the hell's out there waiting for him? Number 52. The kid's a man-eater. This is the guy that makes it happen, as far as I'm concerned. I think, I think OB's doing a radio show right now. You're awesome. You are awesome. 
All right, in the Lovey Smith 4-3 defense, the three-technique defensive tackle was Tommy Harris. And, and Lovey, Lovey Tommy always called you the engine, the engine for the 4-3 defense. Did you live and breathe that label that he gave you and did you play like that, to be the engine of that defense? Yeah, I, I knew I was going to be an important part to the defense, uh, especially since I've been running this defense since I've been in high school. So the cover two, the same Tampa two, watching Warren Sapp growing up, uh, John Randall, and I knew that it all starts with me. If I don't make the play, I disrupt every blocking scheme I can, and that's all I did. Well, you did more than that. Three-time Pro Bowler. Outstanding member. Every time, the, every time a Packer goes down, the place goes nuts. It's kind of funny. And Chris Zorich, being a local kid from Chicago, watching all this, hearing all this, you're just grinning over there. Well, you you're a pair. Yeah, but he comes from the same high school as Dick Buckus. So when you're Chris Zorich, you're not coming in here without the knowledge of what bear greatness can be. And when it comes out of your same neighborhood, there's a certain little bit of angst that goes with that also. Well, First of all, this is very exciting. I mean, the idea, and you can hear the passion that all these guys up here have. And, and that's what it takes to play defense. And Tom, no offense, you know, I know you're an offensive lineman, but the idea that you have to give 110% every play is important. But then you can see it years later. I mean, we still have that same passion to go out and crush quarterbacks and crush running backs and try and crush offensive linemen. Um, I know when I first got to the Bears, uh, it, it was just an amazing experience for me because I kind of grew up in Chicago. But having the chance to practice against Tom every day really taught me how to be a, a better defensive lineman. So Tom, I know you put me on my back a lot of times. So I just want to say thank you for doing that. Well, you know, when you talk about passion, when I got here, my passion came through Hamp through McMichael because I admired their commitment to the game so much and it's different when you watch them from the outside in then you become teammates with them and it's the same thing you know with happen you see a guy that prepares to be great ends up being a Hall of Famer and that's committed to the game it's like Ed Obradovich being around us you, you could see the similarities between Ed Obradovich and Dan Hampton now I see it between Tommy and Akeem there's a lot of similarities in, in defensive linemen, and, and like I said before, you're sitting up here because you're great football players and great ex-Bears, and I think it's the commitment to the game that all of you guys have given. Dan, in the, in the 46, when Buddy moved you over the center, you're pretty much impossible to, to deal with one-on-one. -on -one. There's no way that's happening. Did that trigger something bigger and special with the unit? Well, and obviously the, uh, the design of the defense is what it is. It wasn't infallible, but it was a combination of the talents that we had. And think about this. I, I, I saw Bill Parcells last November, and I sat down and we talked down in Florida. And essentially what he was saying was, you know, we play against uh, you know, the, the, the Jets. There's really nobody we got to worry about. But when we play against the Bears, who's going to block Hampton? Who's going to block Dent? Who's going to block McMichael? Who's going to block Otis Wilson? Who's going to handle Wilbur Marshall? There were so many terrific players that it, it, it created almost a, not only a schematic advantage, but it almost became a race to the quarterback, a race to the running back, because you had great players feeding on each other. But, you know, I, I'm flattered by the, uh, the, the thought of, you know, me being on the nose. And it was, it was an ingenious design because if you have a, a player that a center can't block one-on-one, -on -one, then the rest of the dominoes start to fall. you got to double him. Then somebody else has got to block down on the tackle. And then next thing you know, you got – free runners on the edge. So Buddy, was a, he was a genius. And wherever he went, he had the number one defense in Minnesota. And then he came here. We were the number one defense for, I think, five years in a row. 
Then he goes to Philadelphia. He had the number one defense. Then he went to Houston, had the number one defense. He always realized the talents of the individual players. And again, we had an embarrassment of riches of great players, and it was a, it was a sum total of all concern. But what my dear friend Ed was saying a minute ago, the NFL forever and a day will be about blocking and tackling. And if you can have someone defeat blocks on a regular basis, you can't move the ball against them. And the 1963 championship team had Doug Atkins and Ed Obradovich and all these other legendary names and, and, and players. Well, it was the same way on the 85 team. We had amazing players. I think the year we went to the Super Bowl, seven or eight of us on defense alone played in the Pro Bowl. I mean, that, that's pretty good. And you, <laughs> and you start to see it again. We all know Khalil Mack is special. He really is. Eddie Jackson is special. Danny, uh, the middle linebacker, uh, Danny uh, Trevathan, special. But it all, it all starts up front. Eddie Goldman is getting better and better by the game, by the year. But make no mistake, this team, this defense will rise or fall on the backs of this guy right over here, number 96. You bet. Ahab, Dan, six-time six All-Pro. If you would, you all right, nose guard, defensive tackle, defensive end, wherever you play, you're going to be all pro. What happens if you would have stayed at one position your whole career? Would you have been more dominant, or did your dominance come out because you could control any position? Well, it would have been boring. That's for starters. Uh, you know, and, and see, when I got here, I was drafted as a defensive tackle, but Tommy Harris and Al Harris got hurt in training camp, so they moved me to end. And I like playing in. And then when Alan Page retired, they moved me inside to defensive tackle. And I played there. And then when we drafted William Perry, he couldn't play in, so I had to go back out to end. And then at the end, they moved me back inside because after 11 knee operations, I was slowed down. I couldn't turn the corner no more. So I went back inside. But you know, it doesn't matter. I would play anywhere they wanted me to play that helped the team. And you know, you gotta be unselfish. And I gotta tell you, and I, I, I hate to keep pointing at Akeem, but when Akeem is dominant and he's fresh, especially, you know, early in games, he forces the offense to do so much that Leonard Floyd and, and, and Mack, they, they enjoy the benefits of Akeem you know, destroying the interior part of the line and having to double and sag and the backs having to step up, well, they know they've got a one-on-one -on -one rush. And, and when you have a one-on-one -on -one rush, man, hey, if you're a pro, you're going to beat somebody. So at the end of the day, I was just trying to do everything I could to be wherever I needed to be to help the team. I'll tell you what, you guys keep talking about Big Akeem here. He's about ready to play ball right now. He's getting fired up. I mean, it's got, it must be very flattering to hear this. Getting to meet, I actually got to meet Dan, um, it was a year ago, or a year and a half ago, and it was at Soldier Field, and it was upstairs, and I'm a big guy, right? And, and I walk around and I'm towering over people, and uh, you know, it's, it's a different feeling. But when I met him and I got to shake his hand, I realized how massive and strong of a man he really is, because at his age, he still feels strong. Like, it's, it's a different kind of being, you know? I had the same feeling when I got to meet um, uh, Kyle's dad, Mr. Long. And, um, you know, those guys were, they're just made different. You know what I mean? And so it's a huge compliment for him to say that, uh, you know, it makes me want to put it on my back even more and just go out and destroy. Ed, speaking of men being, being made different. Doug Atkins was made different. Well, who he's speaking of is Doug Atkins. Doug was, played 17 years in the National Football League, most of them with the Bears, 
Doug was 6'8 and weighed 280. And not only that, when he went to University of Tennessee, he was on the track team. Guess what he did? He high jumped. You know how high he high jumped? 6'8. He is 6'8. And he weighed 280. He weighed 250 at the time in college. So we had the players at, and everything, but God, I'm going to tell you something. What's, what's more important is, is ownership and the coaching staff. My God, we were so grateful to have a George Allen. How about a Buddy Ryan, folks, in 85? These people are so important. They understand the game. They know when to trick, when not to trick, when to blitz, when to overset a line, when to underset a line. And, and, and you just got to put it together. And I, and I just want to say just one more time, I, I don't mean to talk in circles here, but I cannot tell you. We thought we were going to win it. We won in 63. We thought nobody could touch us in 64, 65. For Christ's sake, we're lucky we won a game after that. It all fell apart. George Allen left for the Rams, and everything fell apart. The great 85 Chicago Bears is probably, is still in my mind, the greatest team I've ever seen play football. Now, here's the catch with that. Here's the catch. They won the world championship once. They never even got back to the Super Bowl to try to do anything. So the point I'm trying to make, Akeem, and Tommy knows, we all know up here, boy, it's 16 games. You better come in ready and everybody be ready. And I mean, I'm, I'm dead serious when I say this. I'll tell you what, we need to bring this world championship back home. And from what I saw, And from what I saw last year, I saw an offense struggle, come along, struggle, come along, but they kept trying to get better and trying to improve, and by lo and behold, they did, they did, they came along. But they had a defense that set the tone, and they'll have a defense this year that'll set the tone, and I think the offense should be ready to go. Because again, folks, one time, one time, with some of the greatest players that ever played this game and coaches, and we only got there one time. So it is so important, Akeem, for you guys to realize where the hell you're at, and you've got the talent. Go out there and crush them. Hey, Tommy. There's a lot of talk about the size and the brute strength, the defensive tackles, defensive linemen. When did you figure out that your speed off the ball was going to be the key to your success, that is going to be your strength, is, is going to be how quickly that you can get into the backfield, how quickly you can make an offensive lineman move or get, miss the block, and then how quickly did you able to cultivate that into sacks? Well, I, I knew that from high school, from jumping snaps and arm over to center and getting straight, taking handoffs from the court, uh, running back, quarterback. I just knew that was my specialty. And uh, I knew that my upside was quickness. My downside was if I get hurt, this might be it. You know, in the league, if you're 6'8 and you're 300 something pounds, and just like Dan says, Dan was moved inside and out because he had a huge frame. He could do a lot. Even if he couldn't bend the corner, they could use him down their nose. If I lost my quickness on my first step, nobody wants to pay millions of dollars to watch Tommy Harris play that's not that fast anymore. When I, I knew at that moment that my quickness was going to be everything that people, the Bears fans, come to see. When they drafted me here at the 14th pick, I knew that they weren't going to see any other under tackle. I'm not a three technique. I'm one of the only under tackles in the game that played in the game. And that's from the Tampa 2, that's the Tampa 2 system. You got it. Oh, I thought you, I was going to bow down to you. Well, uh, what you, what Chris, you got this? Now you, now you, because you're kind of a different body style than Tommy Harris. He had superior quickness. You had strength in the middle to take on two blocks. Plus you always had the ability to earn leverage because of your height. But you also had quickness and instincts. How did you turn that into your craft throughout your college career that then extended into the Bears? 
Tommy's being very nice. I mean, you, you just said I was short. I mean, you can say it. Well, I, I was mean, short. You're, you're not. I don't know how I made it. I don't know. Um, the only thing I was able to rely on was my speed and strength. I mean, I was six, well, maybe something like that, you know. Um, so the, the fact that I was able to survive um, for, for seven years in the NFL was very beneficial because I saw people like Tom who trained constantly. Um, what you guys might not know, and I don't know if you guys talked about this, but um, before Tom got to the 85 Bears, he was with the Chicago Blitz. And the, the same year you went from the Blitz to the Bears, I think there was like a, like a three or four week uh, in between that. Was there, was there something uh, was, like that? Um, a Saturday night game through Monday night training camp, Monday morning training camp. Seriously. Yeah. Okay, now, do you guys understand that? So literally, Tom finished with the Blitz on a Friday and was in a Bears training camp on Sunday. I mean, that's impossible. So the idea that, and, and I was fortunate enough because I came from Notre Dame and, and Tom kind of took me under his wing, but I was able to watch and see how he prepared for games. And I just really emulated what he did because I thought he was kind of the, the epitome of being able to be that physical type of player, which I needed to be, but I was also able, because of my size, um, I wasn't big as everybody else, so I had to use that combination of strength and speed, and I was very fortunate that, that I had a chance to make, to make it in the league for so long. Chris, Mike Ditka meant a lot to you, and he thought highly of you. Was he instrumental in you becoming a Chicago Bear, from your uh, knowledge and scouting report? Actually, it's kind of a funny story. Um, growing up in Chicago, um, I had made the Sun-Times All-State um, uh, banquet, and Mike Ditka was the, the keynote speaker. And my, my mom and I traveled on the bus uh, from our home on the south side downtown, and we were waiting in the lobby for the event to start. And my, Mike Singletary was out, or excuse me, uh, Mike Ditka was out in the lobby, and my mom was like, hey, hey. So my mom was a diehard Bear fan. She's like, oh my God, look, look, that's Mike Ditka. And I was like, yeah, I know. She's like, I'm gonna go say hi. And I was like, oh my God, mom, are you serious? So she goes over there and they're talking. I'm like, oh my God, my mom is talking to Mike Ditka. Hey, this is crazy. So a couple of days, she's like, Chris, Chris, come here, come here. I'm like, oh my God, this is terrible. So I go over there and she introduces me like they're old pals, right? It's like, oh my goodness. And I'm like, sorry, sorry. Somehow, I don't know how I got the nerves, because I'm, I'm 18 years old. Somehow I got the nerve to say, can you please remember my name in four years? Well, you fast forward, and I mean, he didn't remember, but when I got the call to be drafted by the Chicago Bears, he said, Chris, how would you like to be a Chicago Bear? And I mean, I got chills right now saying this, but I was like, sir, I would love to play for the Bears. I would pay to play for the Bears. And I, mean, I got a lot of crap for that because they talked about it in the media and stuff like that. But that was my passion, right? Because I grew up, my mom and I grew up with Bear fans. I mean, I watched Dan Hampton. I mean, I watched Mike Singletary. I watched William Perry. I watched these guys. These guys were part of my history. When I was a sophomore or a junior in high school, when the Bears won the Super Bowl, they came down to Daly Plaza on buses. I skipped school. Took the took the uh, the number six Jeffrey bus downtown, climbed up on a street pole, and I watched them. So I remember Walter Payton being knocked over on the sideline by uh, I forgot what linebacker was for Green Bay. I mean, I remember all these. Things. I remember watching as a kid. So the history of the Chicago Bears I knew. So being drafted by my hometown team was just an amazing experience. So I really feel as though. I'm living the life of every Bear fan out there. I had a chance to live that for you. And it was an amazing experience. So it was amazing. And you know what? I, I don't get to see Chris much, but you're kidding. You went to the parade after the Super Bowl? Absolutely. You were there? Absolutely. You froze your ass off like the rest of us, didn't hey, you? Hey, absolutely. Yeah. I remember you guys the climbing out of the, out of the top of the bus. I remember all that. You know, I, I, I got to tell you, uh, being a part of the Bears is unlike anything, you know, around the NFL. 
And I've talked to guys, the, you know, Joe Montana or Dan Marino, all these great players. But they, there's always some sort of deep rev, reverence for, as Mr. OB said, the footing and the foundation of the NFL. And I, I, I just want to say this. It was great to see our coach here this weekend, wasn't it? Coach Dicka? I got to tell you, just like you, when I heard about him having that incident with his heart, I called him up and I said, how you doing, coach? He said, I'm okay. I said, well, that's good. Mongo and I are praying for you. And he said, that's great. I need the prayers and Mongo needs the practice. So it was, but it was really good to see him. And you know what? There's so many people that mean so much in my life. You know, Coach Dick, uh, I don't, you know, as great as the defense was, as great as Walter was, he was a, a big part of us winning the championship. And again, like OB said, coaching has a lot to do with it. You know, Vic Fangio is no longer here. And now it's inherent upon the players to pick up the slack and become even better than they were a year ago. And they were damn good a year ago. But just like OB said, guess what? You get enough people that make their mind up, they want to win, boy, it's going to be hard to stop this year's team. I'm just telling you that. What's kind of fascinating, what's it's fascinating about this conversation is you, you really get to understand that the old Bears are fans just like you. They have answered every question and brought it right back to 2019. It's, it's the first panel that's done that here today. As a player that's on this team hearing that, it's, you got to understand, you got a force behind you. Um, you started in New Orleans. You, start, you went over to New England. You came to the Bears. You're here for a long time. Ryan Pace, what's he mean to you? He brought you, helped bring you to New Orleans, and he brought you here to Chicago, and, and basically started to build a defense around you. He really changed the, uh, he really changed the trajectory of my career. You know, um, after being in New Orleans for three years, um, didn't pan out. Um, they traded me to New England, and uh, you know, at that point when you get traded, I don't know if anybody else has been traded up here, but it's not, uh, it's not a good feeling, right? Because it's essentially somebody telling you that you're not good enough, right? And so um, when I went to New England, I played there, I finished off that season, um, I became a free agent, and uh, the, you're looking for your next home, you're looking for where you're gonna play. And um, I remember at the time, there were three teams that were interested. One was New York, one was Detroit. Nobody likes Detroit, right? Uh, <laughs> One was Detroit, and um, the other was Chicago Bears. And uh, my mom, being from the south side of Chicago, you know, she was excited when she first heard it, right? And um, they in here? Um, and so uh, at that point, I'm, I'm figuring out what is going to be the best fit and what's going to be the best home, and where do I have the best chance, you know, to, to build and, and to be a part of a team that I want to be a part of, and I want to build a, 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 a winning championship caliber team. And um, Pace called me and we started talking and I said to myself, what better place is there to be than with somebody that originally helped get you drafted and wants you to be on their team again? And then... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so at that point, it, it came to, to, to seeing what the foundation was like with our team, right? And um, Coach Fox was here at the time. Um, we had some really good players, and Pernell McPhee, Willie Young, guys that could rush the passer. And I just really felt like this could be a home for me. And um, it, it's worked out so far, right? Hey, Tommy, what, Tommy Harris, what, what was your first, um, the first time the Bears contacted you, started showing interest in your ability? What was the scout or the coach or the personnel person that said, Tommy Harris, we have our sights set on you. We have interest in you coming to play here. It's, we've seen all these stories of everybody being contacted. There's a great story that Clyde Emmerich tells me that Jim Finks told him to go down and look at the talents of Dan Hampton. Who contacted you for the first time and to give you an indication you're going to be a bear? I, I didn't know. I thought I was going to Tampa. So I, I kept dropping in the draft and dropping. I was either going to go 
Uh, number five to Washington Redskins, they took Sean Taylor. Then they said at the least he'll go to Atlanta uh, at eight, and they took D'Angelo Hall, I believe, and then I was supposed to fall at Houston at 10, but they took uh, the other defensive back out of uh, North Carolina. And the Bears just came out of nowhere, and it had, but there had been a little guy that kept following me somewhere. Um, he's at Kansas City now, I think. He's a Chris scout. Chris Ballard. Chris Ballard. Chris he's Ballard a, kept he's, popping up. He's the general up. manager of the Indianapolis Colts, and he's one hell of a scout. Right on. But you know what I've been through. So I'm just now checking back into football. You see what I'm saying? I've been out of football. No, no, no I got, got you. you. Chris Ballard. Chris Ballard was the guy that found me. I would see him in Houston at the facility I was training in, but I didn't, I didn't know two and two until I got to Chicago and saw him in the facility. Like, oh, man, you've been... So uh, when, when Lovey hit me and said, would you like to be a bear, I, I said, man, I can't believe. I knew he had just came from that Tampa 2 system into Chicago, and I was ready to play in Michael Jordan City. Tommy, what's that man mean to you? What's that man mean to you? Everything, man. That, that man taught me a lot, man. He taught me um, that uh, it would say that there are many professional football players, but only few are professional. And he was the first man to ever proposition me, would you be one of the few? And fortunately, I had just started learning how to be a professional at the end of my career. And that man really took time to teach me more off the field than the game of football, man. He means everything to me. Ham. Hey, Big Dan. Hampton. Uh, Clyde Emmerich tells me a story that one of the greatest talent evaluators of all time, Jim Finks, he says, hey, I want you to go down and take a look at this guy, Dan Hampton. And he said, Clyde looked at you for a couple minutes and came back and said, Jim, this guy's going to be not only a great player, he's going to be a Hall of Fame player. Not only to have Jim Finks understand what the ability that he thought you have, but then you get the evaluation of a guy like Clyde on immediate recognition about what you could be. That's got to be impressive for you, you know, being a young, upcoming football player from Arkansas. Well, again, I, I owe so much to so many people. Clyde Emmerich, and it's kind of an interesting story in, this, in a sense. When I was in college, I was skinny and kind of weak, and I, I got on a weight program, and I started doing these power cleans. And a power clean is not easy to do. A lot of people go in there and do curls for the girls and all that. But power clean, it, I mean, it's real work. So we take the, the weight off the ground, and they explode up, and anyway, it's essentially a football move. When you're in your stance and you fire into somebody, that's, that's, that's the basis of your explosion. Anyway, I was extraordinarily good at it. And so this is way before they had the, uh, the, you know, the big combine and all that. And the Bears had me fly in so they could kind of give me a, a look over and a physical. Anyway, uh, they had me go in the weight room and Clyde Emmerich, who I saw last night, still looks great. How old is he, 83? 86. 86. Clyde Emmerich was the first man on the planet Earth under 200 pounds to clean and jerk 400. Now think about that. Now think about that. He was, he, but he was a special guy. But anyway, I was in the weight room, and there was this offensive lineman. It doesn't matter who it was, but he was walking around the power clean kind of psyching himself up, and he had 225 pounds on the bar, and he'd psych himself up, and then and he'd do it one time and put it on the ground. And then he'd walk around and psych himself up. And I said, oh, you guys like to do power cleans? And Clyde goes, oh, yeah. You know, we think it's a very important lift. And I said, oh, really? Well, I, I, I love doing power cleans, and I'm pretty good at it. He goes, oh, really? I said, let me show you. And he goes, no, 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 no. Don't get hurt, you know? I said, no, let me show you. And I went out, I had street clothes on and like loafers. Anyway, I went over and did it 10 times and put it back down on the ground, and his eyes popped out of his socket. And he could tell that, you know, you know, when you train and you have a certain explosive ability, I mean, that's what football is. You know, it's technique, tenacity, and then you gotta have certain talents. And Clyde Emmerich, 
from that day forward has always been like a, a huge you know, proponent for me uh, as far as not only the weightlifting, but I'll tell you this, and I don't know, I, Akeem, answer this question. Can your starting defensive line all do 360 pounds power clean? I would say everybody can. Everybody can? Can get over 300. What's that? I said everybody can get over 300. I don't know about oh, 360. Everybody on the starting defensive line in the Super Bowl, way the hell back 33 years ago, whatever, we could all do 360 pounds. Now that's pretty good that for a long time ago. That's very Richard, good. Richard, Steve McMichael, Fridge, yeah, they could all do it. When Dan played in his era, Bears ranked number one in fewest rushing yards, fewest rushing touchdowns, total yards, points, and most sacks. Aside from the trophy, the fact that it was dominance, is that important to you, that you were at the center of that? All that dominance of that Bears defense during the era that you played, top of the heap. Well, yeah, and again, like I said, I, I owe so much to so many. To play next to Richard Dent, who went into the Hall of Fame in 2011, to play beside Steve McMichael, who played like a Hall of Famer. Steve was an amazing player. Mike Singletary played right behind me for some 11 years. On the outside, Otis, Wilbur, Gary Fensick. You have no idea how much fun it was. I heard Gary and Doug Plank up here talking earlier. You have no idea how much fun it was to be on the field watching those guys knock people out for year after year after year. And we weren't very good, but by God, nobody wanted to play against them. I'm telling you, they would drop you. But, you know, it's just like what OB told me years and years ago. There's a reason why the Chicago Bears were called the monsters of the midway, because they played the game the right way. Ed, you guys allowed 10 points a game in 63. That's it. Is it underrated, that defense in Bears history? Well, I, I think, uh, as a matter of fact, I think there was a special somewhere last few years about, or there's an article written in newspapers, The Forgotten Champions in 1963. It, I, I don't know, but the 63 team compared to the 85 team I mean, there is no comparison. Uh, the, they were revered, they were, I mean, loved to the max and well-respected, et cetera, et cetera. Back when I played, it was a, everything was a battle. Everything was a fight. The games were fights. I mean, there was, my, we're playing the Detroit Lions and we're playing up in, in Detroit. It's the last game of the year. Detroit had, no, we're playing here in, in the, two games. We were playing here in Wrigley Field. Detroit had to beat us to get into the conference championship, okay? We won the game three to nothing. They went on every fourth down. They had, they, as a matter of fact, Clay Ford came down and told them they beat us. They're all getting brand new Fords. I thought that was against the rules, but apparently it wasn't. But anyways, three to nothing. And then I think in the year of 66, uh, there was a kid by the name of Chuck Hughes. He's a, excuse me, a receiver for Detroit Lions. And I just want to tell you again, the difference in the decades and the rules and how it was played. Chuck Hughes, unbeknownst to us until we saw the films the follow, into the, you know, the following week. Benny McRae caught him coming over the middle, and Benny hit that kid. It was like a, a cluster bomb going off, and he went flying up in the air and went down, and, and I don't know how the hell that kid got up, but he got up. But listen to this, folks. So it was a pass, so I turn around, and I'm, we're walking back, and he's walking back, and he's about from me to you, away. And he goes like this, whoop, boom. What it was, they had, 
we were winning by four points. A field goal meant nothing. And they had the ball and they were moving on us. So they had no timeouts left. So we thought, aha, here this guy's faking it. Get that bum off the field, you know, and we're screaming everything. He's faking it, he's faking it. And then Butkus goes down and looks, he gets on one knee, and he starts waving to the Detroit bench. Come on out here. The guy died right on the field. 26 years old, hit <clears throat> three kids, died on that field in 1966. You want to talk about the word realization? Scared the living hell out of me and everybody else. That's how tough it was. You'd have died on the damn field, and unfortunately, it did happen. That's a tough one to overcome right there. That's a tough one to go through. I remember seeing a picture of, of Dick standing over, you know, Chuck Hughes. But that's a part of football history right there. It definitely did happen. It's always everyone's fear, obviously. Um, well, that's a tough one to follow up right there. That's, that's, that's tough business right there. But you all, mean to go you, all, there, you, but. you all had to overcome something. You ought to have overcome your own personal journeys, Tom, you included, from the physical point of view, the mental point of view. If you were overlooked, you came from Sacramento City College and a college in Canada to get to be a pro bowler in the National Football League. Tommy overcoming injuries. OB, you had to play in Canada first, right? You played in Canada. Yeah, first year in Canada. First year in Canada. Yeah. Dan, 12 surgeries. Chris Zorich, humble beginnings. Tom Thayer trying to break in on one of the best offensive lines in NFL history. Do you all appreciate how hard it was to get to where you are and what you became as football players? We'll start with Tom. You know, I'm like Chris. I grew up in the Chicagoland area. I've been a Bears fan my whole life. And I grew up watching the guys. I was in awe of Walter Payton. I told you I played with a guy in the USFL that came here for a day, and he warned me about Dan Hampton and Steve McMichael. And so I came here. I was intimidated before I ever got here, but I was in awe when I looked across the huddle at Walter Payton, almost <clears throat> as a fan. So it was you never have a bigger goal in your life than to be a member of the Chicago Bears. And it was a, it was a great opportunity, and it, it's been life-changing. So just the whole, you know, you put a lot of pressure on yourself for accomplishment. And that's, I think every one of these guys, that they kind of put in their mind that they want to play professional football. At some time in their life, there's a lot you have to overcome in order to even give yourself that opportunity. What about you, big man? I had the fortunate opportunity to attend the University of Notre Dame and, all right, go Irish. And much like the tradition that we have at Notre Dame, the Chicago Bears is the same way. So I, I'm not, I didn't have a chance to start the whole time I was here, but being a part of the Chicago Bears organization um, for the time that I was is a very important part of my life. Um, the, my experience in Notre Dame was great, but being part of one of the organizations that started the NFL um, is, is something that I will always cherish. And then you're talking about a kid who grew up 20 minutes from Soldier Field. That's just that's the icing on the cake. So, I mean, after my football career was over, I could have died then and just been, been a very, very happy man. So the idea that I played my butt off, I gave 110% for an organization that I grew up admiring um, was, was, was really just a dream come true. And again, I hate to sound like a broken record, but for all the fans out there, I played for you guys and I felt as though I was one of you. So thank you very much. <clears throat> you know, I, again, and I'm sure Tommy, Chris, Akeem would all say the same thing, which is, you know, yeah, it's professional football. We get paid to do it, but 
everybody's got setbacks. Everybody has challenges. It's how you deal with them. And I got to tell you, I'm the luckiest guy you'll ever see. To play 12 years for this franchise with the guys I play, William Perry, you have no idea how much fun it was in the locker room, in the meeting room with Fridge. He's a scream. He's a scream. And I mean, the, the, the friends, Steve McMichael and I have been like that for 40 years. To play next to Richard, Otis, all these, Gary Fencing, all these great guys, all these great players. But think about this, folks. I got to play for Buddy Ryan. I got to play for Mike Ditka. I get to do radio with my legendary hero, Ed Obradovich on WGN. But here's the best one. I played nine years with Walter Payton. Top that. Top that one. <clears throat> Being kind of a guy that was, well, born and raised in Hillside, Illinois, went to Proviso High School in Maywood, University of Illinois, and, you know, it's like one of those dreams come true. And <clears throat> when you start out playing, and if you excel at basketball, football, whatever it is, then your dream is always to be the best. You want to be the world champion. Okay, you want to win the conference, you want to be the state, you want to win the national title in football and basketball, whatever it might be. Well, when it comes to football, it was always about the next, the next big avenue. The, you know, can I travel it? Can I make it? Can I get there? And I did, and I made it to Chicago Bears, which I dreamed. That was a dream of all dreams for me to play, play the game, number one, and number two, to play in Chicago and number three, to win a damn world championship. I have my entire family's here, my friends are here, and it's, it, it's been a one hell of a ride. And I'll tell you what, I look back, I don't look back at anything and say, no, I think I should have, I shouldn't have, or whatever. It was what it was, I did what I did, and every time I can tell you this, every time I went out on that football field, I thought we were going to win the game. Every time. I don't care if we were, we'd be like 0-4 and, and we're playing the New England Patriots in New England. I had the mindset that we could whip their butt. I really did. And I think I could speak for all of us up here that have that same feeling. So again, to, to be here, to play for George Hallis, who started this league, the footing foundation of this whole damn thing, and to win a world championship with it and play with the guys that I played with, I thank God for that. Thank you. Thank you. I, I think we should have went the other way. Like the, <laughs> the older guy should have went last, but uh, uh, I just want to well, say- wear my jersey up here. Man, oh, yeah, that's what- <laughs> Big bro said that. Um, I just want to say thank you, first off, for uh, being up here on this panel, especially being retired and life happens and it's refreshing. I want to thank the Bears for allowing us to come back and share this week for myself personally. And uh, I just want to say, I, I, don't take it for granted. Man, you're one of the greatest defensive tackles. And I told you, I enjoy watching you. I said him. You bet. Him and Khalil Mack, I say, you guys got me back at home. I get a bag of chips, a popcorn, I kick my feet up, and I watch you two work together. <laughs> I don't know what else goes on. I watch you two work together, and it's the most beautiful work of art when you have a, ta uh, a tag team in there like that. But the reason why we love football so much is because it keep, it endures, it, right? It teaches you how to constantly keep going after something, and it's the overcomer sport. Just like we all talk, we've been through it. And it, it's to encourage those that go work a nine to five all day and have something to come home to and to cheer for a team, to get you out of bed and to meet new friends at a bar and to meet new people and the connection. It's the beauty of this sport is why I played it and why I love this city of Chicago. That it constantly brings people together. And when you win, 
when you win, man, it, it takes all the, 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 the crap that's going on in your life, the thing, when a team wins, man, it, uh, it takes a load off of people in their day-to-day -day lives. So I just tell you, know that you're, you're, in, you're, you're putting entertainment, you're inspiring people that are working their butts off all day, laboring somewhere, and when you put your helmet on, know that the city is behind you. And I thank y'all. Love y'all, Chicago. Maybe they should have started the other way. <laughs> so I got to follow up all these guys. Um, first thing I want to say. Hey, Akeem, we didn't put too much pressure on you, did we? <laughs> not at all, not at all. Um, what I'll say is this, first of all, is that it's an absolute honor to be up here with you guys. Um, yeah, please. I fell in love with the game of football at 14 years old. And um, I remember I used to just sit in the front room and I'd be watching NFL films and I'd be watching replays of the games that played on that Sunday. And um, it just took a hold of me. And I got to watch all of you guys do what I do now as the best in the world. And um, it's an honor to follow in your footsteps and to be able to put this Bears jersey on and represent us. Um, And um, I also got to say, I accept all of your challenges. For this defense, this defense that we have here right now, you, you weren't lying for a second. We have some of the most ferocious, most talented, most aggressive, high-spirited, fun-loving, love-the-game-of-football guys that I've ever been around. And for us not to take advantage of this moment that we have in front of us right now, we would be doing ourselves, you gentlemen up here, and this city a disservice. So we're going to take care of business. I think the battery went out. I mean, the emotion in this room right now, it's palpable. It's a lot of fun. I know we had fan questions. We're not going to get a whole lot of time. But while Akeem's got the floor, uh, you ran for a touchdown last season. Joe in Chicago wants to know if you're going to catch one this year. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so. I know you guys saw the game, right? It was fourth and one on the one-yard line, right? Now, we had practiced that play for, I don't know, eight, nine weeks. But for some reason in my mind, I never thought it was really coming. <laughs> and it came. And it was fourth and one. And we're in New York. And uh, they actually gave me the ball. <laughs> Who does that? I don't know. I, I didn't really expect it. I know I'm talking to all defensive linemen up here. We never expect to get the ball, right? We're hitters. An old coach of mine told me you're either going to be the hitter or the hitty on every play. And I'm used to doing the hitting. So uh, it was fun. And um, don't put that pressure on me. <laughs> Freezer left. Uh, last thing, and people had some similar questions, but Dan, you appreciate that Matt Nagy takes in the history of this franchise at heart. First play runs T formation. Freezer left and owed to Refrigerator Perry. Uh, he's got Papa Bear, Papa Bear House plays. He's got all these great plays that are a little ode to history. He gets it, doesn't he? 
Well, the, the first and foremost thing is, uh, you know, you're talking about Matt Nagy. Thank God John Fox's ass is out of town. That's all I can tell you. Thank God. Thank God. But you know what? Paul, excuse me a second. I can't let it go. I'm oh, sorry. We're out of time. I can't oh, let it go. We're out of hold time. The, hold, the, hold the phone. Oh, I, I kind of denote that you don't like Fox or never did. Uh, we'll talk ba uh, backstage. Yeah, talk backstage. But let me tell you folks something. You know, this man right here has seen a lot of Chicago Bear football in his years. And we talked about it on the post game last year. He would look me dead in the eye and he said, and there's no question in my mind, if you guys find a way to stop the Eagles, that you could have went and won the Super Bowl. So those are the setbacks that now you realize you have to be better in all facets. But Ed Obradovich told me on a weekly basis, there's something special about this team. And Matt Nagy, and you can give Ryan Pace an awful lot of credit too. Vic Fangio, I mean, he was a terrific, terrific, you know, uh, coordinator. But at the end of the day, you can feel it, we can feel it. The main thing is they find a way to believe it and bring it home because they know it means everything to us. Now get this, it has been 34 years since we won the damn Super Bowl. The last time I checked, 34 was a pretty good number around the Chicago Bears. Yeah! See you in Miami! Give him a hand, everybody!